Good morning, everybody. Good morning. So in 2012, news agencies from NBC all the way to Hollywood Reporter jumped on a story based on a photo of a member of the British royal family. And this photo was not of Prince Charles or of Catherine, Duchess of Cambridge. Was it of Prince Harry or Meghan, Duchess of Sussex? The photo was of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, the Queen of the United Kingdom, the head of the British royal family, the longest serving monarch in British history, and one of the most recognizable faces in all the earth. And she was captured wearing a hoodie. <laughs> like that same thing we all wore for like six months during the pandemic. Like, that is me for about six months uh, this past year. But why in the world would a picture of Queen Elizabeth, a normal, like, like, like a real flesh and blood person, why would a picture of her in a hoodie be glo a global scandal? It was because royal people are to live worthily of their position. Or there's something about the way Queen Elizabeth dresses and all the elegance and the opulence that dignifies or shows the worth of her position as queen and by extension, the worthiness and value of her country, right? If she, if she wore her favorite sweatpants and hoodies and Crocs every day, right? It, it wouldn't quite show the worthiness of her call in life to be the Queen of England. Did you know that the Bible tells us, based on our position in God, that there is a way of living that shows the value and the worth of the gospel? If Christ is in you, then there is a way of living that shows how valuable the love of Jesus is. Well, we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about what a day-to-day -day life looks like that is worthy of the gospel. Because if Christ is in you, there is a way to live. Well, let's pray and we'll jump right in. I'm really excited about today's message. Heavenly Father, you are so good, you're kind, you're loving, you're generous, you're patient, you're gentle. Thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your word, the Bible. Lord, as we look at your word today, give us a greater sense of what you want us to do with it, how we can live out a life that is worthy of the gospel. So we, we love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we'll be in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And uh, in this passage today, this uh, book of Ephesians, we're going through uh, it was in a series called The Essential Gospel. And up until this point, we've talked about, in the uh, letter to the church in Ephesus, the indicatives. These are what God has done. 
Today, in chapter four, we're transitioning to the imperatives, what we must do. So we're moving from explanation to instruction, from right theology to right living. So in order to understand why God has us live in a certain way, let's look back at what we've learned thus far in the book of Ephesians. So we've learned that God has given us his son, Jesus. He has lived the life we should have lived. He died on the cross. He was buried in a tomb. Three days later, he rose again so that he would be our substitute. His life was a substitute for our life so that his perfect record would be given to us and his sacrifice would pay for our sins. And there are implications to this good news, to the gospel that this story is. One of the outworkings of the gospel is unity, that Jews and Gentiles are now united into one spiritual family. So no matter what your background, your age, your race, your ethnicity, your socioeconomic status, you and I, we are all one in Christ. Pastor Chad last week um, talked about Paul's prayer that we would be strengthened in the inner man. Why? So that Christ might dwell in our hearts. So the basis of this section is the gospel message that Christ died on the cross, rose again for us so that he would dwell in our hearts. All right, so that's the theology. Now we're moving into the application, into right living. So look with me in chapter four, starting in verse one. Uh, Laura read it a, a few moments ago, but we'll break it down kind of verse by verse and see how we can apply it to our lives. So verse one, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So Paul's first command in this sections of commands is that we would walk, we would live lives, we would conduct our day-to-day life in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So before we talk about this word worthy, this phrase, calling to which you've been called, that's a little confusing. So let's, start, let's talk about it for a minute. So in Ephesians, there are two uses for the word calling. They're what theologians call the effectual call and the functional call. The effectual call is when God has called us to himself in salvation. We sung about it a moment ago when it says, uh, uh, when you called my name, I ran out of the grave. So we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. God calls us and invites us into his family through Christ's substitutionary death on our behalf. And if you've received Christ, then you have received the effectual call. Well, the second calling comes out of the effectual call. It's the functional call. It's our unique stewardship as ministers, we talked about this two weeks ago, each one of us has been given a realm of responsibility as stewards, and we've been given tasks to accomplish because we are all ministers. We are all servants of God. So you have been saved not to, to, uh, to, to just receive a ticket to heaven. So I think sometimes we can collapse all that comes in the good news of the gospel simply into going to heaven when we die. There is so much more to it. 
And one of the aspects of the gospel is that we are now given the ability to live special lives. We're given the ability to pursue callings day to day as a mom, as a husband, as an employee, as a grandmother, as a friend. We can, we can do and live the life to show others how awesome God is. So when it talks about the calling to which you've been called, it can also say that because you have been called to saving faith in Jesus, you then have been, been given a way to live. So that's what we're gonna talk about for the rest of our time this morning, as well as the rest of Ephesians. How are we to live now that we have received Jesus Christ? All right, well, Paul says we're to walk or to live in a manner that's worthy of the gospel, worthy of what we've received in Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what it does not mean. It does not mean that we're supposed to live a life so that we deserve the gospel. Absolutely not. Chapter two, chapter three, chapter one of Ephesians all talk about it is a gift. We have been given a gift. We were dead. Christ made us alive. So we are not talking about living so as to earn the gospel. What does it mean then? This term worthy means on par with or commiserate with or appropriate to. So there are some offices or positions or even physical items because of their worth, they're treated in a certain way. For example, uh, uh, there's a, a couple, I did their wedding a number of, a few years ago and they just had their first child, Jake and Kristen. And I just met the little girl in the hallway, very, very sweet, four weeks old. Well, they give out those little pink and little blue hats. You know what I'm talking about? You put the babies in. Now, I don't know how much those cost, 50 cents for them to make, but I tell you what, that little pink hat that Drake and Kristen got at the hospital, that's a, there's a lot of value to that little pink hat and they treat it in a special way. I think we all understand that. Based on something's, someone or something's position, we're to treat it or to act in a certain way to, to be, uh, that's appropriate for what has been given. So think about this. If the God of the universe gave his eternal son, Jesus, to take on flesh, to be born, live a perfect life, die an excruciating death on the cross, and then to break all laws of biology and physics, to raise him from the dead, all so that you and I would be saved to the praise of his glory, then there is a way to live that's appropriate to such a gift that we've been given. So, um, you know, there are a number of things that uh, changed in my life when I, I married Deborah. Deborah and I have been married for about nine years now. And one of the things that have changed is that um, Deborah's love for British themed TV shows has rubbed off on me. I thought BBC was for like people 80 and over, you know, like that's just not something that I'd be interested in. 
But she started uh, introducing me to some of these shows, and I, I love them. One of the shows we really enjoy, oh, it's actually on Netflix, it's called The Crown. Is, it, is any, any Crown fans in here? Okay, we got some Crown fans. The Crown is a series that walks through the life of Queen Elizabeth from before she was queen up until modern day. And it's really interesting. You know, one of the themes in one of the early uh, seasons is it shows her when she became queen, learning how to live up to the status she was given as queen. You may not know this, but Queen Elizabeth was not actually in direct line of the crown. So her uncle was king and he abnegated the throne. And then so Queen Elizabeth's dad, King George VI, became king and then he died suddenly. So at age 27, uh, uh, for a few years prior, Queen Elizabeth was just kind of some mid-tier princess. She became queen. And it's really interesting to see her learn how to dress, learn how to... Uh, talk to people in a certain way, learn how to um, go about the, her duties. And she had to learn it not only in her mind, but she kind of almost had to believe that she was up to the task of being queen. When you received Christ, did you know that you became a royal priest, an heir with Christ, you became a holy temple to the Lord, a child of God, an inheritor of God's riches, and that you will one day rule and reign with Christ for eternity. Because of your position in Christ, there is a way of life that is worthy of all that we have been given in Christ. There is a way to live worthy of the gift we have been given. Okay, well, all right, well, what is that way? How are we supposed to respond? And see, this is, the, this is where this illustration with Queen Elizabeth and with us as spiritual royalty begin to break down. So Queen Elizabeth, when she became queen, she had to learn to be decisive and have authority and to accomplish tasks and to move ahead no matter what. She had to learn how to deal with prime ministers and be strong and firm and tough and a leader and to stand upon the shoulders of those who may uh, compromise her authority. As followers of Jesus, we've been given a list of four qualities and four aspects of someone worthy of the gospel. And they're very different than that. See, if you are tasked with getting a list of qualities for a high school football coach or a CEO or an assistant principal or a, a military commander, the list we see in scripture very different. But we know that this, these four qualities, these four aspects are how spiritual royalty truly should live. We know that because it's how Jesus lived. So let's look at these four qualities of a life worthy of the gospel. 
Let's start back in verse one. We'll read through to verse three. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Here they are. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So scripture lays out these four qualities for how to live worthy. They are humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, and having, having an eagerness to maintain the unity of the spirit with the bond of peace. We must allow these traits to form the way we think of people who should be in high places. All right, first quality is humility and gentleness. Now, these two traits are really one trait. They're two sides of the coin. Humility is the state of heart and gentleness is the manifestation of that heart condition. All right. Humility is the gas tank. Gentleness is the gas gauge. Humility is the root. Gentleness is the fruit. That means if you want to determine if he or she is humble, the only way to do that is to see how gentle they treat others. So, you know, I prepared this message, you know, a couple weeks in advance and we, you know, kind of tweak it the week of. So my, you know, obviously my message was in lock, all, all the study done, ready to roll like Wednesday. Last night, um, my wife and I, we, we told the kids they could have a family movie night. We'll put on a movie for them and, you know, they could have some popcorn stuff. Well, we started the movie and it was getting late. We, you know, they weren't going to be able to finish the movie. And so I go up to the kids like, hey, guys, you know, you're just not going to be able to watch the movie. We're going to have to pause it and then we'll, we'll finish it later. And these kids blew their noggins. <laughs> like, it was as if I like said like, hey, I got rid of our cats, by the way. You know, like <laughs> it was like unbelievable fury from our four-year-old and our six-year-old. And I'd like to say that I was like, oh, I remember what the Bible says, humility and gentleness. But you know what I did? They're, Dad, no, I can't believe it. You know, you know what? I gave you this, this movie. We bought it on Amazon and I can pause it. Anytime. I lost my noggin like I was a four-year-old, right? And God convicted me. What was going on there was I felt my pride attacked. Hey, I'm the dad. I bought this TV. I bought, I bought this Netflix subscription. I can pause it whenever I want. And my, I was harsh because I was prideful. And I was convicted of that. You see, if we want to know the stature of someone's humility, we see it in how gentle they are, especially with the least of these. Okay, well, how do you get more humility that expresses itself in gentleness. How, how do you do that? You know, when your coworker doesn't recognize your part in the project in front of your boss, 
when your child disrespects you, when someone takes your starting role on the team, or when your sister rolls up in a brand new minivan, you're still driving that rusted out bucket. Right, when your waiter forgets your lemon wedge, how do you respond in humility that manifests itself in gentleness? Obvious answer, you try harder. You just, you just grit your teeth and just, just muster gentleness. <laughs> of course not. We become more humble and that manifests itself in gentleness when we enrobe ourselves in the gospel. Think about royalty. There are three things that sets them apart. Their crown, their scepter, and the royal robe. The way we become more humble, the way we walk worthy of the position that God has given us is that we enrobe ourselves in the gospel. When we begin to do this, we think, okay. Jesus was willing to be humbled on a cross. He was willing to be naked, exposed. He was laughed at. He was stabbed with a spear. He was given as a joke, a circle of thorns thrust upon his head and above him it said, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He experienced utter humiliation. Why? So that I would, could be saved. How dare I get all high and mighty when the kids get irritated when I push pause on their cartoon? You see, when we begin to ruminate and meditate and soak in the gospel, when we take our royal robes that we have been given as a royal priest and we cover ourselves in the gospel, then our hearts begin to change. Then we become more humble and it manifests itself in gentleness. That's the only way to become a more humble and gentle person is you tap into the vine of Jesus Christ through the gospel. All right, second aspect of a worthy life is patience. Patience. This word in the original Greek is the word macrothumia, which literally means suffering long. What that tells me is that God's not against all of our suffering. There are certain forms of suffering that cause us to fall deeper and deeper in love with Jesus. It's called sanctification. And it causes other people to see Jesus in us. So how do we get more patience, right? When your child slowly gets dressed for school and you're already late, when you're waiting on the Lord to provide a spouse, a child, a job, when you've prayed for years for the physical or psychological healing of a loved one, how do you have more and more patience in those moments? You try harder. No. You enrobe yourself in the gospel. And you begin to think, okay, God, you suffer long with me. 
There are areas of my mind, heart, and life, sinful areas that I sin over and over again. And I go back and say, God, forgive me. And he forgives me every time. He says, God, you suffer long with me. Can I, how dare I not offer patience with other people as they're growing in their relationship with Christ? How dare I not extend kindness to my brother and sister in Christ when they are still struggling and dealing with the sin that they have in their own hearts? And we do that by enrobing ourselves in the gospel. Fourth aspect of a worthy life is bearing with one another in love. The Tyndale New Testament commentary defines this quality this way. Quote, it involves bearing with one another's weaknesses, not ceasing to love one's neighbors or friends because of those faults in them, which perhaps offend or displease us. Now, certainly, you know, the Bible allows us to choose close friends. You know, like a lot of my close friends are those who, we, you know, we share similar life stage. We share similar, uh, uh, you know, hobbies. We enjoy spending life with one another. And that's fine. That's okay. But what bearing with one another in love, what this is talking about, is that our preference of a person is subservient to that person's need for a relationship. What that means is that we don't leave a life group because the people in it are irritating. We don't choose our relationships because of what this other person can give me in the relationship. Rather, we look to be united. When we come together in our local church, in our life groups, in our communities, and there will be things that irritate you about other brothers, sisters in Christ, but their need for community and relationship is subservient to your preferences of what you like in a friend. See, one of our passions here is linked generations. And if you're here, you're 20 or 24, you probably don't have a ton in common with someone here who's 70 or 74. But what the Bible says is that they need you and you need them. And even though you might not have a lot to talk about, and maybe there's some disagreements on politics, on preference of music, preference of preaching, preference of hobbies. Nonetheless, we are to bear with one another in love because we are one body and we're to serve one another. And how do you bear with irritating people in your life group? Right, you're in life group and you're like, oh, Tom's talking about masks again. Like how you enrobe yourself in the gospel. I mean, I'm sure there are qualities in my life that God, my father goes, okay, Josh, 
can, 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 it's time to grow out of these things. Well, we extend the same grace to others. All right, that fourth quality. Eagerness to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Individual freedom is an American quality, but unity is a gospel quality. Right? There are certain times, I want to be clear, that when separating from another person, even another believer, is proper and right. So two weeks ago in our Bible reading plan, we saw an instance of that in 1 Corinthians where there is blatant sexual sin and nobody was doing anything about it. And uh, the Apostle Paul, who wrote that book, said, you got to separate from them. So there are times to do this, but we're not talking about sin issues here. A life that is worthy of the gospel has an eagerness, a hunger. They work hard to maintain the unity that comes through the Holy Spirit. Look, there are differences in our church, differences in disagreements. Some of them significant. We've got political disagreements, social disagreements. We have major discrepancies in socioeconomic statuses. We have different people of backgrounds and ethnicities. We have so many things to disagree with. But as a royal priest, we must be eager to lean into maintaining unity through the bond of peace. What that means is if you have a problem with someone, you talk to them, not about them. If you have a problem with the church leadership, you talk to us, not about us. And I tell you what, this is hard. This is hard. That's why we rarely do it. It's so challenging. You know what it takes? It takes courage. It takes a vulnerability. It takes time. It's risky, but a life worthy of the gospel, a life that reflects God's love to other people is a life that maybe disagrees at some area, but calls up someone and says, hey, help me understand. And at the end of the day, you still may not agree, but if it's not a disagreement based on clear biblical teaching, then we have to be eager to maintain unity and be at peace with one another. The Apostle Paul knows about how hard this is. That's why the next two verses, the Apostle Paul outlines seven traits, seven truths of unity that aren't one day true, but are today true for anyone who has called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and been saved. Let's look at those, these seven unifying truths that are already true for us. Look at me, verse four through six. There is one body and one spirit just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, 
who is over all and through all and in all. If someone has called on Jesus, has received the gift of salvation, has experienced the call of God, whether they're in Broadview Heights, Brexville, Medina, Morocco, Peru, Tanzania, wherever they are, we are united in these seven areas. Number one, we are one body. We are all parts of the same body. So what that means is if one part of the body hurts, is in pain, is in need, we all hurt. Number two, we are of one spirit. Whoever is part of the family of God shares in the one Holy Spirit. So when we are um, uh, disunited, when we are at conflict one with one another, that means the spirit and the spirit is at conflict with itself as if that could possibly be. We are to live in unity because we only have one spirit. If you sit down with someone and say, I got this issue going on with you, you got this issue going on with me, you may have everything not in common, you have one thing in common. They got the Holy Spirit, you got the Holy Spirit. So let's work this thing out, okay? Number three, one hope. Um, the question one of the New City Catechism, it's a really great tool we use here at church for our middle schoolers. Uh, it's a way to teach theology. It asks this question, what is our only hope in life and death? The answer, that we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both life and death to God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So no matter the amount of physical strength, relational influence, financial ability, or moral excellence. If you are in Christ, you have one hope. And we all have one hope. Number four, one Lord. There are many temporary rulers in our country and the countries throughout the world. They will come and go, but there's one Lord and there's one King. That is King Jesus. And he is coming again. That means Americans and Peruvians and Moroccans and Tanzanians, we all have different presidents, but we only have one ruler and that's Jesus Christ. Number five, one faith. There was only one person that we could put our faith in and receive salvation and that is Jesus Christ. By no other name may we be saved. Number six, one baptism. There is one religious activity, one spiritual rite that churches throughout the world participate in that show what happened to Jesus has, been happen has happened to us. Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again so that when we go public with our faith, we go under the water symbolizing death and we raise again to new life in Christ because that's what Jesus did. And believers throughout the whole world participate in that one act. We, we are united in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then number seven, there's one father. If you know Jesus or someone you know knows Jesus, then we are all beloved children of one God the Father Almighty, who is over all, through all, and in all. Brothers and sisters, we are spiritual royalty. 
it's time for us to take up our royal robes and enfold ourselves in the truths of the gospel. And what will result is a people united in the core truths that are more important than anything we can come up with. And I tell you what would be shocking to the world now is a diverse group of people who are united. In our day and in our time, what better way could we show the world the love of Jesus than through a diverse, multi-age, multicultural, multi-socioeconomic community who bears with one another, who's patient and who's unified. You know, one celebration we have today is that um, CVC is now um, going to be a host location of All Points Church. It's a Chinese-speaking church. So they're going to actually have services in one of our areas um, starting this Sunday. I think that their services start at 2. And that's awesome. That is a celebration that folks from China who speak Mandarin and folks here from Ohio speak English or whatever. We are going to praise God together, different languages, but the one Lord, one baptism, one faith, one God and Father over all. And it's, it's a piece. It's a step to showing the world how awesome the love of Christ is. You know, maybe you're here this morning you're watching online and you said, Josh, I don't know if I actually have this faith, this, this one faith. This, I don't know if Jesus is actually my one Lord. I would love, love to talk with you more to kind of help you understand if God has called you to salvation or that's something that you need to do. You can text CONNECT to 440-276-5575. You can talk to one of the pastors and know more about having a relationship with Christ. Also, maybe you heard about the one baptism and you're like, you know, I haven't been baptized yet. I haven't been obedient. You know, Acts 2.38 says, repent and be baptized. If you have not been baptized, we're doing baptisms on Easter. Go online, cvconline.org slash baptism. Fill out an application. We would love to walk with you to be part of the tens of thousands of people who will go public with their faith in baptism on Easter. Well, let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good and wonderful, precious and true. Thank you for the unity that we have. Lord, may we walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. May we enrobe ourselves in the truth of the gospel. And may that express itself in every aspect of our lives. We know that's only possible because you have given us salvation in your spirit. Lord, unleash your spirit in our midst. Unleash it in our hearts and in our lives so that we can live in a way that is worthy of the gift we've been given. In Jesus' name, amen.